Welcome to Healthcare Happenings, a One Digital Employer Advisory Podcast. It's no secret that healthcare is complicated, and to prepare for the road ahead, business leaders need transparency and access to information in order to develop the best health benefit strategy. Our team of compliance leaders are here to shed light on the latest developments on the Hill and share their collective vision for ways to improve the healthcare experience. Our regulars are here with you today. Scott Wham, Samantha Malver, Ron Bagazzi, and and me, Annette Bechtold, um, to take you through the most exciting thing yet um, to date, which I feel like that's going to be every time we talk, the American Rescue Plan um, Act, which is... um, this new $1.8 trillion, our next COVID package relief. There's a lot of stuff in the 600 pages, which had many frustrating moments for me over the past couple of weeks in reading and how, how it's printed. Um, but there's a couple of things I know we're being bombarded by uh, employers with questions. So I want to just tackle those things and just give them um, ideas about, you know, what we think. Uh, but I'd also like to get your opinion on a number of things, because there's a lot of really confusing language in this bill as well. Um, so let's talk about COBRA. That's the big thing. We've got... Um, uh, Cobra premium subsidies. So, what what are the, your first thoughts, and what are you hearing uh, on that? Uh, so, for me, I feel like I started getting questions on this before even the bill was signed into law by President Biden. I think I was having questions <laughs> posed to me on you know Wednesday when it was was in the Senate. Your crystal then, ball, right? <laughs> what will happen? Um, and I, I, we're still getting questions on kind of how to actually implement it. So, like. I think maybe Annette, you can give a little bit of background on how this process works, but essentially we receive the bill, which is kind of the, I think of like the skeleton. Yeah. It basically says like, yeah. this is what we want, but then now we need actual guidance or interpretation or FAQs from the IRS or the DOL. Basically, how do we do it now? Yeah, I think that's the best way. Like I always explain it as the actual law when it's constructed is sort of a framework, but it's the what. What what is it? What is going to change? What are the things coming forward that are different? Then the regulatory bodies that have anything to do with whatever that framework is. um, So on the benefits side, HHS, Department of Labor, IRS, they're going to come and tell us how. So I think everybody has the how questions now, right? And we don't have the how. So I... (laughs) You know, yeah. this is this is the tough part, right? Yeah, that's yeah. that's that's the real problem. I mean, I you know, I, I spent a lot of time over the past week reading legal commentaries from reputable reputable resources that I think a lot of us look at. Um, yeah. To, to to get an insight, and they're all over the place right now. Um, I see a lot of individuals, I think, reading too far into the statute at this point, uh, based on what's in the plain text of the statute, and uh, yeah. I think we're all just in that holding pattern right now, of saying look, we need to know how this thing is going to work. And it's going to be the regulatory bodies that are going to tell us, the agencies who are going to tell us, you know, what notice needs to go out? What's it look like? Um, what, what are the exact steps an employer is going to take the file for the, the, the tax credit? How does this apply to state continuation? Uh, that's a big question. I'm that's asking. a huge yeah. one. Um, and, right. and, and it's open to, you know, there's a couple different interpretations out there right now. Yeah, I feel like I went back and forth with you, yeah, Scott, yeah. on like, who is the player on this? Like, read, like, I feel like I had to go with a fine tooth comb into the actual text of the bill to be like, oh, 
there's actually this word or there that I didn't see the first time I went through it. And the same thing with the definition of covert continuation coverage, unless you actually went in there and read it, you probably would have just assumed they meant federal COBRA, but no, that's actually where they call out a state program that's similar to federal COBRA. Yeah, so there's a, those all of those things need explanation. I agree. Um, and uh, everybody wants to know specifically. And I think that... Um, I think frustrating for me is just the, the amount of, to your point, Scott, the amount of guessing that's out there as being legitimate. And I think it gets people like a little bit ahead of the game um, or the cart before the horse, if you will. I'm getting all worried about and trying to put things in place that might not be needed. And I, I would hate, I don't, I hate to do stuff like that. But I think there's a couple of things we know, right? We know that you're going to have to notify people of whatever it is that you're supposed to do. And there are some time frames with which the notification and there's some general framework about what the notifications say. Um, but there's a lot of things that are that I think that are missing out of there, too, that the the, the how to's will come. Do you guys agree with that? Uh, yeah, I agree. I think, you know, also what's interesting, because I was reading the text and I thought, you know, COBRA generally terminates when someone's actually enrolled in another group health plan. But under this yeah. subsidy, all you have to do is merely be eligible for another group health plan or eligible for Medicare. And then you lose that subsidy credit. So those are the so like, how are you going to know that? Yeah. And that's where like the individual actually has to notify the group health plan. And I think they could be penalized if they actually don't provide yeah. that timely notification. <laughs> This is going to be really fun. Um, uh, ver- verifying uh, that type of situation. It's a lot of scouts honor is what I'm kind of uh, <laughs> yeah. envisioning, which, you know, as we know, with healthcare. Wink, wink, up, nudge, nudge. I have no coverage. Doesn't always go the right way. I think what I try to keep in mind, though, is I, I try to keep in mind the scope when I when I think about my employers as the who does this actually speak to? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that involuntary loss of coverage at least where I operate that's related to COVID in any way has really slowed down. Um, and it slowed down pretty quickly in, yeah. in, in 2020, I'd say once we got through April of last year, May, and this is going to vary by geography. It's going to vary by locality. It's going to vary by industry, but yeah. the number of people who are involuntarily terminated or involuntarily lose coverage under COBRA who would be eligible for the subsidy, I'm hoping is going to be a small subset of the total COBRA population. Yeah. I think that's such a good, good observation. I mean, a year ago, we might've had a different, we might've been talking differently. Right. Um, so I think that that's, that's a really good observation on that part. So what, what do we think we need to tell employers? What should they be doing today? Don't panic. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. we'll Stay know. calm. Do we need one of those posters? I know. Yeah. Uh, I've, been, I've been actually encouraged by the proactive stance that a lot of our COBRA partners are taking. Um, I've, I've seen a lot of, lot of COBRA vendors who are already coming out and saying, Hey, you know, we're going to be on top of this. We'll be uh, here to assist with notifications. You know, when we get templates, we'll be updating templates, yada, 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 you know, we're, we're going to be involved. 
So yeah, so I think people of Cobra vendors, that's good. Uh, what I worry about are the people, the the folks that are not on co that don't have Cobra that are under twenty that have state continuation. Now, the good news about state continuation is the majority of states are much shorter periods of time than eighteen months. Some are the same, some are shorter periods of time. So maybe your population's smaller, but they don't have administrators, and so so I would say like good advice for people who. Who are who are Cobra groups? Say twenty or more, you know, total employees. Um, if you don't have a Cobra vendor and you're doing it yourself, I wouldn't. I'm like have a Cobra vendor. Um, this is what they do for you, and then you don't have to think about it, right? So this is peace of mind. They're going to be on it. They're going to help me be comply, right? Yeah. Um, the state continuation. We're just going to have to help people when we know what that really means. Yeah, and it, and it also have to comply it, all the way, is it? it also appears that the statute leaves open the question to what extent the carrier is involved in that process, mm-hmm. um, right? Which I'm being very careful of making any statement beyond that right now. <laughs> being yeah, very I careful. Mean, yeah, I don't know. It'd be interesting too because just from like who you put on Cobra, do you often tell them what their qualifying event was? I mean, like this is really just limited to those who involuntary lost their coverage. So what about anybody out on COBRA for maybe uh, a different reason, one of those other six qualifying events? I mean, so an employer may have to work with their vendor or their carrier to say, you know, identify that list of qualified beneficiaries who meet this definition to receive this subsidy. See, these are all the questions that still remain. So helping people through this, I think, is really, really hard at at the current time until we have more. What we do know is that People can elect if they, they, you know, the effective period goes all the way back to November 1st of 2019, right? And Which is interesting because, I mean, year. 2019, you know, COVID wasn't really much of a thing back then. <laughs> no. So they're giving basically people this opportunity, anybody who was COBRA eligible and didn't take it, or they took it and dropped it, mm-hmm. right, to jump back in. But they'll only have 60 days to elect that from the date that they get notification from the employer. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah, part of the subsidy does we provide this extension or this kind of new election period for those who didn't elect COBRA yeah. initially or those who dropped it in the middle of their kind of 18 month, 36 month period to be able to kind of hop back in and receive this coverage. But it doesn't extend their period that no. they would just get to finish out whatever that 18 yeah. months. So, yeah, they just get to finish out. So there's not an extension to their actual like maximum period of coverage. And I guess the other thing, Scott, I'm thinking about what you said before, um, you know, yeah, hopefully people have found other, uh, you know, other coverage by now and they don't really need that. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I, I had a restaurant chain. I just, I just had this conversation with, um, with one of my account executives trying to think of clients who got hammered uh, in August, yeah. I'm sorry, in March of last year, April of last year. Yeah, yeah. And had to furlough a ton of people. And I asked for an update on a client of mine that's a, a restaurant chain that employs, you know, about a thousand employees. And they had to really scale down hundreds of employees furloughed. And I asked, you know, are they back up and running? And the answer is, yeah, they were back up and running by June of last year that they had almost fully opened back up, had staff, had staffed up. Um, and then the one, the individuals who, who uh, were furloughed, who didn't come back, the suspicion is that they found work 
at other restaurants or, or some, somewhere else to where practically speaking, again, we're hoping that it's going to be a very small subset of individuals yeah. who didn't come back, who were furloughed <clears throat> involuntarily, didn't come back. And it's going to be a very small portion of that population that would require this notice mm-hmm. that would require outreach yeah. from the, from the company. Yeah. Good. Yeah. So, th- so, so I think, you know, stay tuned. Um, we will have something posted on the website that'll be more granular, 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 gosh, I can't even speak granular about what the actual provisions are that we know today. What does it specifically say? If you want to dig into it, um, otherwise we'll bring you exactly how to comply, you know, when the time comes, when we have more, more rules. And the other thing is, we get to help shape that. So they'll have to issue, they'll issue, um, you know, their guidance, but then there'll also be commentary periods in there too, where we can say, "Mm, you know, maybe it should be this, or here's things you need to consider. And so those rules will be shaped over time here. So, yeah. The other big thing I think um, that just for a couple of minutes, I just want to talk about just a couple of, there were a couple of extensions there, extensions on extensions. So <laughs> we're extending the extensions that um, were uh, passed earlier um, last year on the FFCRA. Just any, any quick advice to employers on that one? Yeah. So um, the new, so the COVID bill that came out in December gave employers the option of yeah. continuing FFCRA paid sick leave right. and for an emergency family leave for employees who didn't burn their time um, in 2020. Yeah. And it, it was no longer mandated for companies under 500 employees. It was, it was given as an option. I think many employers that I work with continued offering FFCRA leave for pay, at least for paid sick leave that's directly related to COVID-19. And the thought process there for a lot of my clients was that they, there's no real upside to rushing somebody back who has potentially been infected no, with the virus, right, yeah. seeking treatment with the virus, but they really limited it. To draw a distinction, they may not be offering that type of leave for childcare anymore. Um, they may not be extending that leave for uh, childcare. Some are, but, but not all of them are. And some abandoned it altogether. Um, what, what the, and that was extended through the end of this month. What the new bill does is it picks it up and extends it through September, but there are some pretty nuanced adjustments to it. For instance, now, um, employers still, it's still optional. Uh, they have the option of, of, uh, of running sick leave and EFML almost independently of one another to where it's extended to 14 weeks of potential leave now that would be reimbursable through tax credits. You can take the EFML for if you're sick, not just for childcare. Um, But, but where I see the biggest utility in this for is for companies who are weighing what they're going to do with vaccinations Um, are, am I going to require that my employees get vaccinated? Am I going to require them to do it? Many companies are saying we're not going to require it, but we want to, offer some form of incentive. This new bill gives some pretty nice mechanisms for taking tax credits to pay for individuals to go get vaccinated. So what the law, what the law enables is if somebody wants to go get vaccinated, go get a vaccine, 
you can pay for that time off from work. And if they, and if they need to recover, you can count that as well, which is a big concern that a lot of employers have. So there's a lot of flexibility in how you do this. It's, it's at the discretion of the employer, but I do see some utility in some of the new provisions that are contained within the bill to help, help get people vaccinated and moving in that direction. Yeah. Because the, the bill basically, uh, modifies or just one of the, I think, six reasons for the emergency paid sick leave. So now it can be employees that are experiencing COVID-19 symptoms and then are seeking a medical diagnosis or they're waiting a test. Um, And then also if they're going to get vaccinated and then if they have any kind of illness, injury, or disability resulting from that immunization, it falls under this emergency paid sick leave law. Yeah, that was that that reason three. Uh, they yep. just expanded it to just to be more inclusive. So there's more opportunity to be eligible, you know, for individuals based upon what's going on now, you know. So I think you're right. But again, employers just have to decide, is this something that they're going to extend? And do they do it independently between sick leave and, and family leave? Do they do it for one, the other, or both, or none, you know? Yeah, but it just gives a longer time for people to use the same amount of time that was allotted to them originally. You don't get a whole new, whole new 10 days or a whole new, you know, period. It doesn't start over. So, yep. good. So I think those are probably the biggest things to think about. So stay tuned. Um, we will uh, bring you more as soon as we have some sort of regulation. So uh, stay calm until then. We'll talk to you next time. And thank you all for tuning in. Staying on top of compliance today can be the source of great concern and frustration. Our dedicated team of attorneys and experts look around the corner on your behalf and deliver the tools, education, and resources needed to help you plan for the future and protect your employees and business every day. You can access additional resources, employer advisory sessions, and podcasts on our website, onedigital.com. Stay safe and healthy, and we'll see you next time.